Hi, everybody. Carla here, and thanks so much for tuning in for another episode of Carla Reads the Classics. Let's continue with Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice, Chapter 23. Elizabeth was sitting with her mother and sisters reflecting on what she had heard and doubting whether she was authorized to mention it when Sir William Lucas himself appeared, sent by his daughter, to announce her engagement to the family. With many compliments to them and much self-gratulation on the prospect of a connection between the houses, he unfolded the matter to an audience not merely wandering but incredulous, for Mrs. Bennet, with more perseverance than politeness, protested he must be entirely mistaken. And Lydia, always unguarded and often uncivil, boisterously exclaimed, "'Good Lord, Sir William, how can you tell such a story? Do you not know that Mr. Collins wants to marry Lizzie?' Nothing less than the complacence of a courtier could have borne without anger such treatment, but Sir William's good breeding carried him through it all, and though he begged leave to be positive on the truth of his information, he listened to all their impertinence with the most forbearing courtesy. Elizabeth, feeling it incumbent on her to relieve him from so pleasant a situation, now put herself forward to confirm his account by mentioning her prior knowledge of it from Charlotte herself, and endeavored to put a stop to the exclamations of her mother and sisters by the earnestness of her congratulations to Sir William, in which she was readily joined by Jane, and by making a variety of remarks on the happiness that might be expected from the match, the excellent character of Mr. Collins, and the convenient distance of Hunsford from London. Mrs. Bennet was in fact too much overpowered to say a great deal while Sir William remained, but no sooner had he left them than her feelings found a rapid vent. In the first place, she persisted in disbelieving the whole of the matter. Secondly, she was very sure that Mr. Collins had been taken in. Thirdly, she trusted that they would never be happy together. And fourthly, that the match might be broken off. Two inferences, however, were plainly deduced from the whole. One, that Elizabeth was the real cause of the mischief, and the other that she herself had been barbarously misused by them all. And on these two points, she principally dwelt during the rest of the day. Nothing could, console, nothing could console and nothing could appease her, nor did that day wear out her resentment. A week elapsed before she could see Elizabeth without scolding her. A month passed before she could speak to Sir William or Lady Lucas without being rude, and many months were gone before she could at all forgive their daughter. Mr. Bennet's emotions were much more tranquil on the occasion, and such as he did experience he pronounced to be of a most agreeable sort, for it gratified him, he said, to discover that Charlotte Lucas, whom he had been used to think tolerably sensible, was as foolish as his wife, and more foolish than his daughter. Jane confessed herself a little surprised at the match, but she said less of her astonishment than of, than of her earnest desire for their happiness, nor could Elizabeth persuade her to consider it as improbable. Kitty and Lydia were far from envying Miss Lucas, for Mr. Collins was only a clergyman, and it affected them in no other way than as a piece of news to spread at Meryton. 
Lady Lucas could not be insensible of triumph on being able to retort on Mrs. Bennet the comfort of having a daughter well married, and she called at Longbourn rather oftener than usual to say how happy she was, though Mrs. Bennet's sour looks and ill-natured remarks might have been enough to drive happiness away. Between Elizabeth and Charlotte there was a restraint which kept them mutually silent on the subject, and Elizabeth felt persuaded that no real confidence could ever subsist between them again. Her disappointment in Charlotte made her turn with fonder regard to her sister, of whose rectitude and delicacy she was sure her opinion could never be shaken, and for whose happiness she grew daily more anxious. As Bingley had now been gone a week, and nothing more was heard of his return. Jane had sent Charlotte an early answer to her letter, and was counting the days till she might reasonably hope to hear again. The promised letter of thanks from Mr. Collins arrived on Tuesday, addressed to their father, and written with all the solemnity and gratitude which a twelve months abode in the family might have prompted. After discharging his confidence on that head, he proceeded to inform them with many rapturous expressions of his happiness in having obtained the affection of their amiable neighbor, Miss Lucas, and then explained that it was merely with the view of enjoying her society that he had been so ready to close with their kind wish of seeing him again at Longbourn, whither he hoped to be able to return on Monday fortnight. For Lady Catherine, he added, so heartily approved his marriage that she wished it to take place as soon as possible, which he trusted would be an unanswerable argument with his amiable Charlotte to name an early day for making him the happiest of men. Mr. Collins's return in Herefordshire was no longer a matter of pleasure to Mrs. Bennet. On the contrary, she was as much disposed to complain of it as her husband. It was very strange that he should come to Longhorn instead of to Lucas Lodge. It was also very inconvenient and exceedingly troublesome. She hated having visitors in the house while her health was so indifferent, and lovers were all and lovers were of all people the most disagreeable. Such were the gentle murmurs of Mrs. Bennet, and they gave way only to the greater distress of Mr. Bingley's continued absence. Neither Jane nor Elizabeth were comfortable on the subject. Day after day passed without bringing any other tidings of him than the report which shortly prevailed in Meryton of his coming no more to Netherfield the whole winter, a report which highly incensed Mrs. Bennet and which never failed to contradict as a most scandalous falsehood. Even Elizabeth began to fear, not that Bingley was indifferent, but that his sisters would be successful in keeping him away. Unwilling as she was to admit an idea so destructive of Jane's happiness and so dishonorable to the stability of her lover, she could not prevent its, in she could not prevent its frequently occurring. The united efforts of his two unfeeling sisters and of his overpowering friend, assisted by the attractions of Miss Darcy and the, and the amusements of London, might be too much, she feared, for the strength of his attachment. As for Jane, her anxiety under this suspense was, of course, more painful than Elizabeth's, but whatever she felt, she was desirous of concealing, and between herself and Elizabeth, therefore, the subject was never alluded to. But as no such delicacy restrained her mother, an hour seldom passed in which she did not talk of Bingley, express her impatience for his arrival, or even require Jane to confess that if he did not come back, she would think herself very ill-used.' 
It needed all Jane's steady mildness to bear these attacks with tolerable tranquility. Mr. Collins returned most punctually on Monday fortnight, but his reception at Longbourn was not quite so gracious as, as it had been on his first introduction. He was too happy, however, to need much attention, and luckily for the others, the business of love-making relieved them from a great deal of his company. The chief of every day was spent by him at Lucas Lodge, and he sometimes returned to Longbourn only in time to make an apology for his absence before the family went to bed. Mrs. Bennet was really in a most pitiable state. The very mention of anything concerning the match threw her into an agony of ill-humor, and wherever she went she was sure of hearing it talked of. The sight of Miss Lucas was odious to her, and her successor in that house she regarded her with jealous abhorrence. Whenever Charlotte came to see them, she concluded her to be anticipating the hour of possession, and whenever she spoke in a low voice to Mr. Collins, was convinced that they were talking of the Longbourn estate, resolving to turn herself and her daughters out of the house as soon as Mr. Bennet were dead. She complained bitterly of all this to her husband. Indeed, Mr. Bennet, she said, it is very hard to think that Charlotte Lucas should ever be mistress of, of this house, that I should be forced to make way for her and live to see her take her place in it. My dear, do not give way to such gloomy thoughts. Let us hope for better things. Let us flatter ourselves that I may be the survivor. This was not very consoling to Mrs. Bennet, and therefore, instead of making any answer, she went on as before. I cannot bear to think that they should have all this estate. If it was not for the entail, I should not mind it. What should not? What should you not mind? I should not mind anything at all. Let us be thankful that you were preserved from a state of such of such insensibility. I never can be thankful, Mr. Bennet, for anything about the entail. How anyone could have the conscience to entail away an estate from one's own daughters, I cannot understand. And for and, and, and for all the sake of Mr. Collins's too, why should he have it more than anybody else? I leave it to yourself to determine, said Mr. Bennet. Miss Bing. To oblige you, I would try to believe almost anything, but no one else could be benefited by such a belief as this, for were I persuaded that Charlotte had any regard for him, I should only think worse of her understanding than I now do of her heart. My dear Jane, Mr. Collins is a conceited, pompous, narrow-minded, silly man. You know he is as well as I do, and you must feel as well as I do that the woman who married him cannot have a proper way of thinking." You shall not defend her, though it is Charlotte Lucas. You shall not, for the sake of one individual, change the meaning of principle and integrity, nor endeavor to persuade yourself or me that selfishness is prudence and insensibility of danger, security for happiness. I must think of your language too strong in speaking of both, replied Jane, and I hope you will be convinced of it by seeing them very happy together. But enough of this. You alluded to something else. You mentioned two instances. I cannot misunderstand you, but I entreat you, dear Lizzie, not to pain me by thinking that person to blame and saying your own opinion of him is sunk. We must not be so ready to fancy ourselves intentionally injured. 
We must not expect a lively young man to be always so guarded and circumspect. It is very often nothing but our own vanity that deceives us. Women fancy admiration means more than it does. Women mean fancy admiration means more than it does. And men take care that they should. If it is designedly done, they cannot be justified. But I have no idea of there being so much design in the world as some persons imagine. I am far from attributing any part of Mr. Bingley's conduct to design, said Elizabeth. But without scheming to do wrong or to make others unhappy, there may be error and there may be misery. Thoughtlessness, want of attention to other people's feelings and want of resolution will do the business. And do you impute it to either of those? Yes, to the last. But if I go on, I shall displease you by saying what I think of persons you esteem. Stop me whilst you can. You persist then in supporting his sister's influence him? Yes, in conjunction with his friend. I cannot believe it. Why should they try to influence him? They can only wish his happiness. And if he is attached to me, no other woman can secure it. Your first position is false. They may wish many things besides his happiness. They may wish his increase of wealth and consequence. They may wish him to marry a girl who has all the importance of money, great connections, and pride. Beyond a doubt, they do wish him to choose Miss Darcy, replied Jane. But this may be from better feelings than you are supposing. They have known her much longer than they have known me. No wonder if, if they love her better. But whatever may be their own wishes it is very unlikely they should have opposed their brothers what sister would think herself at liberty to do it unless there were something very objectionable if they believed him a chat attached to me they would not try to part us if he were so they could not succeed by supposing such an affection they you make everybody acting unnaturally and wrong and me most unhappy do not distress me by the idea. I am not ashamed of having been mistaken, or at least it is light. It is nothing in comparison of what I shall feel and thinking ill of his, of him or his sisters. Let me take it in the best light, in the light in which it may be understood. Elizabeth could not oppose such a wish, and from this time Mr. Bingley's name was scarcely ever mentioned between them. Mrs. Bennet still continued to wonder and repine at his returning no more, and though a day seldom passed in which Elizabeth did not account for it clearly, there was little chance of her ever considering it with less perplexity. Her daughter endeavored to convince her of what she did not believe herself, that his attentions to Jane had been merely the effect of a common and, transi and, and transient liking which ceased when he saw her no more but though the probability of the statement was admitted at the time she had the story to repeat every day mrs bennet's best comfort was that mr bingley must be down again in the summer mr bennet treated the matter differently so lizzie he said one day your sister is crossed in love i find i congratulate her next to being married a girl likes to be crossed a little in love now and then it is something to think of and it gives her a sort of distinction among her companions when is your turn to come you will hardly bear to be long outdone by jane now is your time here are officers enough in meryton to disappoint all the young ladies in the country let wickham be your man he is a pleasant fellow and would jilt you credit creditably Thank you, sir, but a less agreeable man would satisfy me. We must not all expect Jane's good fortune. True, 
said Mr. Bennett, but it is a comfort to think that whatever that kind of, whatever of that kind may befall you, you have an affectionate mother who will make the most of it. Mr. Wickham's society was of material service in dispelling the gloom which the late perverse occurrences had thrown on many of the Longbourn family. They saw him often, and to his other recommendations, and to his other recommendations was now added that of general unreserve. The whole of what Elizabeth had already heard, his claims on Mr. Darcy and all that he had suffered from him, was now openly acknowledged and publicly canvassed, and everybody was pleased to know how much they had always disliked Mr. Darcy before they had known anything of the matter. Miss Bennet was the only creature who could suppose there might be an extenuating circumstance in the case, unknown to the society of Hertfordshire. Her mild and steady candor always pleaded for allowances and urged the possibility of mistakes, but by everybody else, Mr. Darcy was condemned as the worst of men. Chapter 25 after a week spent in professions of love and schemes of felicity, Mr. Collins was called from his amiable Charlotte by the arrival of Saturday. The pain of separation, however, might be alleviated on his side by preparations for the reception of his bride, as he had reason to hope that shortly after his return into Hertfordshire, the day would be fixed that would make him the happiest of men. He took leave of his relations at Longbourn with as much solemnity as before, wished his fair cousins health and happiness again, and promised their father another letter of thanks. On the following Monday, Mrs. Bennet had the pleasure of receiving her brother and his wife, who came as usual to spend the Christmas at Longbourn. Mr. Gardiner was a sensible, gentlemanlike man, greatly superior to his sister as well by nature of education. The Netherfield ladies would have had difficulty in believing that a man who lived by trade and within view of his own warehouses could have been so well-bred and agreeable. Mrs. Gardiner, who was several years younger than Mrs. Bennet and Mrs. Phillips, was an amiable, intelligent, elegant woman and a great favorite with all her long-born nieces. Between the two eldest and herself especially, there subsisted a particular regard. They had frequently been staying with her in town. The first part of Mrs. Gardiner's business was on her arrival. On, on her arrival was to distribute her presents and describe the newest fashions. When this was done, she had a less active part to play. It became her turn to listen. Mrs. Bennet had many grievances to relate and much to complain of. They had all been very ill-used since she last saw her sister. Two of her girls had been upon the point of marriage, and after all, there was nothing in it. I do not blame Jane, she continued, for Jane would have got Mr. Bingley if she could. But Lizzie, oh, sister, it is very hard to think that she might have been Mr. Collins's wife by this time, had it not been for her own person, for her own perverseness. He made her an offer in this very room, and she refused him. The consequence of it is that Lady Lucas will have a daughter married before I have, and the Longbourn estate is just as much entailed as ever. The Lucases are very artful people people indeed sister they are all for what they can get i am sorry to say it of them but it is so it makes me very nervous and poorly to be thwarted so in my own family and to have neighbors who think of themselves before anybody else however your coming just at this time is of the greatest comfort and i am very glad to hear what you tell us of long sleeves 
Mrs. Gardiner, to whom the chief of this news had been given before in the course of Jane and Elizabeth's correspondence with her, made her sister a slight answer and, in comparison to her nieces, turned the conversation. When alone with Elizabeth afterwards, she spoke more on the subject. It seems very likely to have been a desirable match for Jane, she said. I am sorry it went off, but these things happen so often. A young man, such as you describe Mr. Bingley, so easily falls in love with a pretty girl for a few weeks, and when accident separates them, so easily forgets her, that these sort of inconsistencies are very frequent. An excellent consolation in its way, said Elizabeth, but it will not do for us. We do not suffer by accident. It does not often happen that the interference of friends will persuade a young man of independent fortune to think no more of a girl whom he was violently in love with only a few days before. But that expression of violently in love is so hackneyed, so doubtful, so indefinite that it gives me very little idea. It is as often applied to feelings which arrive from a half-hour's acquaintance as to a real strong attachment. Pray, how violent was it, Mr. Bingley's love? I never saw a more promising inclination. He was growing quite inattentive to other people and wholly engrossed by her. Every time they met, it was more decided and remarkable. At his own ball, he offended two or three young ladies by not asking them to dance, and I spoke to him twice myself without receiving an answer. Could there be finer symptoms? Is it not is is not general incivility the very essence of love? Oh yes, of that kind of love which I suppose him to have felt. Poor Jane, I am sorry for her because with her disposition she may not get over it immediately. It had better have happened to you, Lizzie. You would have laughed yourself out of it sooner. But do you think she would be prevailed upon to go back with us? Change of scene might be of service, and perhaps a little relief from home may be as useful as anything. Elizabeth was exceedingly pleased with this proposal and felt persuaded of her sister's ready acquiescence. I hope, added Mrs. Gardiner, that no consideration with regard to this young man will influence her. We live in so different a part of town, all our connections are so different, and as you well know, we go out so little that it is that it is very improbable that they should meet at all, unless he really comes to see her. And that is quite impossible, for he is now in the custody of his friend, and Mr. Darcy would no more suffer him to call on Jane in such part of London. My dear aunt, how could you think of it? Mr. Darcy may perhaps have heard of such a place in Gracechurch Street, but he would hardly think a month's absolution enough to cleanse him from its impurities. Where he wants to enter it and depend upon it, Mr. Bingley never stirs without him. So much the better. I hope they will not meet at all. But does not Jane correspond with his sister? She will not be able to help calling. She will drop the, she will drop the acquaintance entirely. But in spite of the certainty in which Elizabeth affected to place this point, as well as the still more interesting one of Bingley's being withheld from St. Jane, she felt the solicitude on the subject which convinced her, on examination, that she did not consider it entirely hopeless. It was possible, and sometimes she thought it probable, that his affection might be reanimated, and the influence of his friend successfully combated by the more natural influence of Jane's attractions. 
Miss Bennet accepted her aunt's invitation with pleasure, and the Bingling and the Bingleys were no otherwise in her thoughts at the same time than as she hoped by Caroline's not living in the same house with her brother, she might occasionally spend a morning with her without any danger of seeing him. The gardener stayed a week at Longbourn, and what with the Phillipses, the Lucases, and the officers, there was not a day without its engagement. Mrs. Bennet had so carefully provided for the entertainment of her brother and sister that they did not once sit down to a family dinner. When the engagement was for home, some of the officers always made part of it, of which officers Mr. Wickham was sure to be one. And on, the, and on this occasion, Mrs. Gardiner, rendered suspicious by Elizabeth's warm commendation, narrowly observed them both. Without supposing them from what she saw to be very seriously in love, their preference of each other was plain enough to make her a little uneasy, and she resolved to speak to Elizabeth on the subject before she left Herefordshire and represent to her the imprudence of encouraging such an attachment. To Mrs. Gardiner, Wickham had one means of affording pleasure, unconnected with his general powers. About ten or a dozen years ago, before her marriage, she had spent a considerable time in that very part of Derbyshire to which he belonged. They had, therefore, many acquaintances in common, and though Wickham had been little there since the death of Darcy's father, it was yet in his power to give her fresher intelligence of her former friends than she had been in the way of procuring. Mrs. Gardiner had seen Pemberley and known the late Mr. Darcy by character perfectly well. Here, conse here consequently was an inexhaustible subject of discourse. In comparing her recollection of Pemberley with the minute description, description which Wickham could give, and in bestowing her tribute of praise on the character of its late possessor, she was delighting both him and herself. On being made acquainted acquainted with the present Mr. Darcy's treatment of him, she tried to remember some of that gentleman's reputed disposition when quite a lad which might agree with it, and was confident at last that she recollected having heard Mr. Fitzwilliam Darcy formerly spoken of as a very proud, ill-natured boy. And that'll do it for the end of chapter 25 of Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. Thank you so much for listening here at Carla Reads the Classics. I hope you enjoyed the reading, despite the flubs. <laughs> Until next time.